0: What a privilege it is is to worship today with you here at the Mount Pleasant 7th Avenue Church I'm really glad to be here today and Anya, my wife, is equally happy It was a wonderful dropping up this morning from Cleburne And I'm really excited also because just before Bernard and I came here onto the platform Julie came by with a small gift from the church for us Can you imagine what they gave us? I'll give you a hint. It's about that high and about this wide. A stack of primary treasures and guide magazines. Every time I come here, Julie has this gift for us of some leftover magazines to use for missionary outreach. I think you may remember that a few years ago, when she gave me these magazines, I was able to take them with me to the Philippines. And we handed them out to a bunch of kids who had just joined the 7th Avenue Adventist Church when their parents, who were former rebels fighting against the Philippine government, had given the hearts to Jesus and started going to church and got baptized. And so, these wonderful pieces of literature from this church found their way all the way over there to the Philippines to bless these kids. And now... The timing here is perfect because tomorrow, Anya and I are flying from Dallas to Mongolia, and then we'll be there for about a week. Then we're going to South Korea for another week, and then to the Philippines for about two weeks. And guess we'll take with us <laughs> a blessing from Mount Pleasant Se- Seventh Avenue Church to give to kids who don't have such wonderful materials overseas. So thank you so much, Mount Pleasant. And I'm all ready for the trip. You can tell I'm wearing my Filipino shirt with the Adventist emblem all over it, ready to go to the Philippines and worship there also. So thank you, my dear brothers and sisters, for blessing other kids around the world with your literature. Before we begin, let's pray one more time, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for bringing us here. We thank you again for being among us. Again, I ask you, please bless us with your Holy Spirit. Speak through me, Lord, not my words, but yours. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Too blind, to see. Let's read this passage here in Matthew chapter 20, starting with... Verse 29. Matthew 20, verse 29. This very short story. It says, As they were leading Jericho, a large crowd followed them. And two people, who were blind, sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. But the crowd sternly warned them to be quiet, yet they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight And followed him. Too blind and to see. Or, is it too blind to see? (laughs) One of the most life-changing moments of my life happened when I was eight years old. My parents lived in Zimbabwe in Africa. They were missionaries. And of course, as a missionary kid, I was there too with my sister. And one day, very much like today actually, we were in church at the University Church And I was sitting about where my wife was sitting there in the second row. Big church. And on the platform in front, there was a group of people seated on chairs. And each of them was holding something in their hands. And they were talking. I could tell something was important in their hands on those pieces of paper. So I whispered to my mom next to me, Mom, what is on those pieces of paper? Mom looked at me and she said, Andy, can't you read it? I'm like, no, I don't. What's there? And at that moment, my mom realized I needed glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and so that next week, we went to town for my very first visit to the eye doctor. Well, I can remember this day very vividly. A few weeks later, when my glasses arrived, I just came home from school. My mom met me on the front porch of our house, and she handed me these little child glasses to put on. And I slipped them on to my nose and over my ears. You know, my friends, I thought that up to that point I could see everything just fine. But when I put those glasses on for the very first time, I was shocked. I was astonished. I looked and I thought, I can see every single billowy white cloud there in the blue sky. Those guava trees in our yard, I can see every single leaf on those branches. And the grass... Can you imagine? I'd always thought that the grass was like some big brown, African brown blur out there. But now I could see the grass like, Mom, I can count every single blade of grass out there. It was amazing. Without those glasses, I had been too blind to see. But when I put on those glasses, I could see everything so so very clearly. Too blind to see. Are you? Too blind to see. Now, I don't think anybody here is without vision altogether, right? But, many of us might have some help with our seeing. Some of us are wearing eyeglasses, like me. Some of us might have contact lenses. Some of us might have had corrective surgery to help us see. But can we really see? I'm thinking to myself, I hear a no there. Some of us sitting here in the Mount Pleasant State the Adventist Church may not be able to see. We may be blind. We may not be able to see spiritual things. And this story here in Matthew chapter 20 tells us today that Jesus offers hope to those who are blind, both physically and spiritually. This story of the two blind men gives us heaven's recipe, heaven's prescription for 2020 vision. What is it? What is heaven's prescription? It's nothing more than persistent, persevering faith. So let's take a closer look here at the story in Matthew chapter 20. Starting again with verse 29. It says, As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. The they. Who are the they? Do you remember? Yeah, we have Jesus with his disciples. They were going through Jerusalem on their very last journey to Jerusalem before Jesus' death. Jesus was going to die in just a few days there during the Passover. And Jerusalem, I mean sorry, Jericho was one of the last stopping places before reaching Jerusalem. And so they were going here through the city. The city they were passing through was a flourishing, busy Jericho. Herod the Great had done a lot of work on this city to make it beautiful. This Herod the Great, you remember, is the same. Herod the Great, who tried to kill Jesus as a baby about 30 years earlier. And he had taken the city and made it into something really worth visiting. In fact, Herod the Great had built his winter palace here in the city of Jericho. Not so far from the city, there were some hot springs. And Herod, in his last painful illness, had come here to Jericho to try to find some healing, some recovery. And Herod the Great had died right there in Jericho. And now Jesus was passing through Jericho with his disciples. And I wondered to myself, did Jesus think about Herod the Great as he passed through? Did he think to himself about how Herod had had this plot to try to kill him, how Herod had heard about Jesus being born, had no faith at all that he was the son of God, but rather somebody trying to steal his throne and had gone out and tried to kill him. But even The most vicious, evilest plot of Herod and Satan had failed because Jesus' time had not yet come. So Jesus could not be killed. But in just a few days, Jesus would be on the cross dying in the fulfillment of prophecy. Did Jesus think about Herod the Great as he walked through Jericho? Or maybe as Jesus walked through Jericho, he thought about one of his relatives who used to live there now this Jericho is not in the same location as the Jericho that was conquered by Joshua and the Israelites quite a few years earlier that, the ruins of that Jericho were about a mile away from this Jericho but this Jericho had the exact same name and as Jesus walked through I think to myself did he think about his great 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 something grandmother Rahab who lived in Jericho you remember that Rahab survived the falling of those walls there because she had faith. It says even in the chapter of faith in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, that Rahab had incredible faith. You remember that verse? By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Faith! Rahab had never known the God of heaven. She had never seen God's wonders with her own eyes, how he, how he was working in the lives of the Israelites. But she had ears, and she had heard. Remember, she told the spies when they came to her, we have heard how your God parted the waters of the Red Sea and brought you through. We have heard with our ears how your God protected you going through the wilderness. And we have heard how your God, again part of the water of the Jordan River, and you came through here to our land. She had not seen anything, but she had heard and she had faith. She believed that God, the God of the Israelites, was the God of heaven, the creator of all men, and she believed. And because of her faith, she did not die. Because of her faith, she and her household were preserved. That's amazing. That's a lot of faith. And I wonder to myself, did Jesus think about this woman who had so much faith that she actually became part of his family tree? Can you imagine the power of faith? That is just incredible. And here we have Jesus walking through the city, exiting the city, and he passes two men who are very much like Rahab. They also have never seen jesus they have never seen god with their own eyes but somehow i think they might have heard something let's read on here in this story in matthew chapter 20 verse 30 and two people who were blind sitting by the road hearing hearing that jesus was passing by cried out lord have mercy on us son of david But the crowd sternly warned them to be quiet. Yet they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. These two men were probably sitting by the gate of Jericho. And they were sitting there for a very good reason. They were asking for money. And this was a perfect time to be asking for money. It was Passover season. The historian Josephus tells us that during Passover time and Jesus day, about three million Jews made their way to Jerusalem. And so you can imagine that a good number of those Jews passed through this major city of Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. And here were these two men begging for money. They could make a lot of money, I think, during this season. And when Jesus passed by, all thought of money left their heads they jumped, they yelled out. And they're like, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. These are actually incredible words. Lord, Son of David. By saying the word Son of David, these two men were actually confessing that Jesus was the Messiah. How could they possibly know that? How could these men know that Jesus, whom they'd never seen before, because they were blind, was the Messiah that everybody was waiting for in Palestine in those days. Because they could not see, there was no chance that they had been reading through the scriptures about the Messiah. I understand that these men had sight earlier, because at the very end of the story, it says they regained their sight. So they might have been able to read earlier, and they could remember something they read before. Or could it be that maybe somebody had read something to them, but they could not read scripture for themselves to find out Who the Messiah was. These men could not see Jesus performing miracles throughout Palestine. These men could not even see Jesus walking by. But somehow they had this faith to know that the Messiah was Jesus. Somehow they knew how. It could be, like I said, that they read something a long time ago. Or somebody had read to them scriptures, and maybe they had remembered at this point Isaiah, who said that the Messiah would come and open the eyes of the blind. Maybe somebody had been telling stories about Jesus going throughout Palestine, healing the sick, raising the dead, and even giving sight to those who were blind. And as they sat here at the city gate, maybe they heard People saying to one another, Jesus is passing, Jesus is passing. And they heard with their ears, but so they could not see with their eyes. And hope was kindled, and they called out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Maybe they were not too blind to see. So as Jesus passed, these men cried out, with something that cannot even be imagined in my mind, some kind of faith that they had inside their hearts. Maybe they realized there was no other chance in the future that they would ever have healing except for now, and they began to cry out. Now, the story here in Matthew does not give the name of these two men. However, there's parallel accounts of the story in Mark and Luke, and both of these books tell us that one of the men was named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus, and Timaeus means somebody worthy of honor and respect. So my question is this. Were these two men who were blind worthy of honor and respect? Were they worthy of honor and respect? What do you think? Yes. Yes, I think so too. When... Um, You know, we're finishing right now the third quarter in our Sabbath school lessons and our mission stories. And next Sabbath, we'll be starting with fourth quarter. Um, Fourth quarter is featuring the West African Division for the mission stories and for the 13th Sabbath offering. And I traveled out to West Africa to gather some stories for these mission stories. I think you all know I work for the General Conference at the Office of Adventist Mission. So my job is to travel around the world gathering mission stories about what God is doing around the world. And I went to West Africa to get some mission stories. And when I was there, I had the privilege of being able to meet four people who were blind in the country of Cameroon. They all had, at some point in their life, had eyesight, but had lost it. One woman lost it when she was in her early 20s. Another man told me he lost it when he was in his 50s. But they were all without sight when I met them. And they all had the stories of how they found Christ. Praise God, they found Christ. But they all also told me one something else. They said to me that after they lost their vision, they felt like society had rejected them. They no longer felt accepted. They felt no longer any kind of honor, any kind of respect. And they said to me that until they found Jesus, they felt completely alone. Only through Jesus did they begin to find respect and honor. As I wrote their stories down and then began to rewrite them back in the United States, I wrote to the point person in the General Conference responsible for working with people who are blind. I wanted to make sure as I wrote the stories that I showed proper honor and respect to these brothers and sisters that who I interviewed in Cameroon. So I asked, I said, how can I refer to them to show respect and honor? And it was very interesting to me. He wrote back to me and said, never refer to people without sight as the blind. Don't refer to them as blind people. People who are blind do not want to be thought of, first and foremost, by their disability. They want to be thought of as people, so therefore, refer to them as people who are blind. The woman who was blind, the man who was blind. Put the person first and the disability second. That's interesting to know about how to show honor and respect to those who are blind. And after hearing that, I've been trying really hard to remember <laughs> to speak that way, to put the person first. And I think in this case, even God puts the person first, right? We're sinners, but He puts us first as His children. Right? We might be blind in many ways, but he puts us first as his people. And in this case, these two blind men sorry, the two men who were blind cried out and said, "Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us." Was the crowd respectful toward them when they cried out? No. They tried to shush them up. I don't like rejection. How do you like rejection?" These crowd rejected the men. When I feel rejected, I feel hurt. I want to kind of go away and hide in a corner. And these two men were rejected. The crowd tried to quiet them and tell them to be shush up. And these men just cried out all the more. They didn't go and hide in a corner. They didn't slink away anywhere. They cried out all the more and said, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And this, to me, is incredible. This is real faith in action. They had no personal contact with Jesus before this day. They knew nothing about him other than what they had apparently heard, but they had faith. And when some people tried to shut them up, they used their faith to cry out all the more and say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. May God give each of us a similar faith that when we face opposition, we are persistent. And we we move forward and continue to move with faith. It's interesting what happens next. Let's look on in Matthew chapter 20. Now with verse 32. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed Him. Bernard mentioned when he read the scripture this morning that this was a prayer. Actually, these men were praying to God, the God of heaven, who was passing by. They prayed, and can you imagine the powerful answer to their prayer? They just prayed, "The so, Lord have mercy on us," and that simple prayer, that cry for help, stopped the king of the universe, in his tracks. He was walking out of Jerusalem, and he stopped because someone prayed to him for help. He stopped. Their prayer had the power to stop him in his tracks, and he turned to them. My friends, never discount prayer. Never think that prayer does not matter. Your prayers had the same power. They had the power to stop Jesus. They had the power to bend his ear down, and they had the power to have him say to you also, what do you want? What do you want? This is the power of prayer. And it's interesting what Jesus said to them. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus knows everything. I think he had no doubt in his mind what they wanted. But he asked them, Why? Why do you think Jesus asked them what they wanted from him? I think it's a good question, actually, because it doesn't come out of left field. These men were begging for money. Could it be that they wanted some money? Or these men, in the actual, their prayer to him, they're called to him. What did they ask for? Lord, Son of David, have mercy. have mercy on us. So they actually asked for something. Did they ask for their eyesight? No, they said, have mercy on us. So Jesus stopped them and said to them, what do you really want? My friends, when we pray, do we tell God exactly what we want or do we ask in a general prayer, please bless our day, please bless our spouse, our family? Or do we say specifically, Lord, we want this. We need this. We ask you for this. Today in our Sabbath School lesson, we talked about Ephesians. And one of those verses we read was what? Remember? One of my favorite verses for prayer. God is willing to give us much more than we ever ask or think. But we have to ask for it, don't we? And then he'll go beyond beyond what we expect. And here Jesus says to them, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Wow. They finally asked a direct prayer request. What they wanted. They wanted to see. And Jesus was moved with compassion, love, love in his purest form. And he touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Not only did they have their prayer request answered, but they also became followers of Jesus. They could see him now, and they followed him where he went. They became his disciples. Two blind men became two men who could see. Two men who were blind physically were actually not blind spiritually, were they? but they got their physical sight together with their spiritual sight and followed Jesus. Jesus talks a lot about spiritual blindness. During his ministry on earth, he repeatedly spoke about the religious leaders of the day as being blind guides. That's a pretty harsh statement. A blind guide. Paul talks to us about how us, as followers of Christ, are facing a constant battle in which Satan once to put us into spiritual darkness. He wants to blind our eyes and allow us not to see heaven's light. Jesus, talking to the last church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, talks about how the church thinks that it can see, that it has clothing, that it's rich and well-off, but in fact, it's what? Poor, miserable, blind naked and blind yes And what does jesus tell us to do he yeah he advises us to buy gold so that we'll become rich and to buy white garments so we can clothe ourselves and not be naked and i sell for our eyes that we may see it's really important to be able to see so how do we do that before I began working at the journal conference, I had lived in, for seventeen years in Russia, working as a journalist. The last eight years of that time, I worked as the editor in chief of a secular newspaper in russia and While I was there, I met a man named Nikolai. Nikolai was blind he wasn 't blind he wasn 't born blind though he was like these men in the story here. His blindness came a bit later in life. He was born in the far east of Russia somewhere around there near Siberia. And when he was eight years old, he completely lost all of his sight. It deteriorated from birth until that point. And his parents, on the advice of the Soviet authorities, put him into a children's home with about 200 other kids between the, between the ages of 5 to 20 who also did not have their sight. In the Soviet Union, everybody had the right to a job, And so, in the children's home, Nikolai went to classes. He learned mathematics and grammar and other subjects, and Braille, of course. And he began to try to be trained for a prosperous life after the children's home. In the Soviet Union, they had factories and even whole towns of factories where they employed people who were blind. At the children's home, Nikolai was like I said, eight years old when he arrived there, he was immediately subjected to a lot of persecution and torture from the older kids. Mm -hmm. And by the time he was 13 years old, he was like them. And at the age of 13, he began to drink and to smoke. He earned money with other kids at the home by making envelopes. Mm -hmm. And they were allowed to leave the children's home every once in a while, go into town and buy stuff. The law didn't allow the sale of alcohol or tobacco to minors, but people felt sorry for these kids who were blind and sold them whatever they asked for. And so Nikolai had a steady supply of beer and of wine and of cognac and, of course, of vodka. And by the time Nikolai was 17 years old, he was an alcoholic. And not only was he an alcoholic, but he, was, he had been drinking so much that he was beginning to suffer hallucinations. If you know something about... hallucinations this is when he began to hear things that aren't really there so for example Nikolai would be alone in his room and he would hear the pitter patter of children's feet running across the floor or he'd be alone in his room and he would hear the sound of breaking dishes and plates and even though he couldn't see he knew that he was alone and this was all a hallucination and it was excruciating for him he didn't like it at all And he he knew that the only way to stop these hallucinations was to stop drinking. But he couldn't stop drinking. Nikolai knew nothing about God. He was in an atheistic society. He had never prayed in his life. But one day he felt so desperate, so traumatized by his situation, that he cried out loud and said, God, help me. If you don't help me, I'm going to die. A few days later, Nikolai went to a Russian Orthodox church near the children's home. The Soviet Union had little patience for religion at all, but they allowed a few churches to operate here and there under their watchful gaze. And Nikolai went to the church, and he went to the priest and said, please help me, I need to stop drinking alcohol. The priest said to him, don't worry about it, even Jesus drank alcohol. Now, I think we all know that Jesus did not drink alcohol and but that's probably another whole sermon right there but we do know this, that we believe Jesus did not drink alcohol Nikolai was very disappointed to hear this and so he began to leave the church very dejectedly and as he left the church he was stopped by an old man who had overheard the conversation between Nikolai and the priest and the old man was a Seventh-day Adventist the man said, do you really want to stop drinking? Yes, I really do. Well then, I'd like the only way to do that is through God. Only God can help you. And the way to know God is through the Bible. This old man invited Nikolai then to come to a house church that met every Sabbath. Nikolai knew that if he went to the house church, he'd be risking a lot. The house church was not, was not operating legally. And if the authorities found out that he went to this house church, he could be kicked out from the children's home or he could even be put into jail. But Nikolai thought that life couldn't get any worse. So he went to the house church the next Sabbath. When the pastor of this group found out that Nikolai was an alcoholic and he was trying to kick the addiction, he said to Nikolai, we need to pray together. And so the pastor organized a prayer team, a prayer group, and they circled Nikolai and they began to pray for him. They prayed for him not just once, but regularly. As Nikolai continued going to this group on Sabbaths, he began to learn about God in the Bible. He learned that God had created the heavens and the earth. He learned that God had created every single person in the earth, including him. And he learned that God's Bible was actually a manual on how to live. And as he learned the Bible, he learned that there were things like clean food and unclean food. And Nikolai decided he wanted to follow God's manual for his life. And so he stopped eating unclean foods. Nikolai said to me that something amazing happened when he did that. All desire for alcohol and tobacco stopped after he quit eating unclean food. It was a complete miracle. And after that, Nikolai began to live a fuller new life with Christ. After the Soviet Union was dissolved, Nikolai moved to Moscow, and today he lives there in Moscow, and he's the head of an organization that helps other people who are blind. God answered the prayer of faith of Nikolai. When Nikolai did not even know if there was a God, he cried out and said, Help me, I'm going to die otherwise. And God heard that prayer of faith. He did not give Nikolai physical healing like he did to these two men in Jericho, but he healed him from his addictions and he gave him spiritual eyesight. Too blind to see. Are you too blind to see? I have been far too many times in my life. I met Nikolai because we went to the very same Adventist Church in Moscow. And one Sabbath after the sermon, Nikolai came to me in the foyer, and he said to me, "Andy, can you help out? I know, help me out. I know a woman in Siberia who needs some medicine. Could you help her buy that medicine?" And he told me how much the medicine cost. Well, my friends. This was in the middle of a financial crisis in Russia and actually the rest of the world. And my, my salary was shrinking because of inflation. I think you know how that feels right now, don't you? <laughs> Everything's getting more expensive. Our income's not coming up at all. This is exactly what's happening to me at that time. And I thought to myself, that takes a lot of nerve to ask me for money right now and I don't have that much money going in my hand. I did, however, have a safety cushion in the bank that I was keeping for a rainy day. And when Nikolai told me how much the medicine cost, it was the exact same amount as my safety cushion in the bank. And I thought to myself, why? (laughs) Why me? And I said to Nikolai, I'm going to have to pray about this. And I did. All the next week I prayed to God. I said, God, why me? (laughs) Why did you put this in in my path? Why did you allow Nikolai to come to me to ask for money? Well, I thought to myself, are you trying to test me here, God? If I give Nikolai the money, will you open the windows of heaven and part a blessing? And I thought, well, that's not going to happen. Because you know something? We're stuck here in a financial crisis. It was December, by the way, and there was no chance of my getting a raise, and there was no chance of getting an annual bonus. So God could not open the windows of blessing for me at all. And I kept praying, and the more I prayed, the more I thought, I really can't find a reason not to give him the money. Nikolai was an Adventist in good standing at the Adventist church. The woman in Siberia clearly needed this expensive medicine. And I had the money in my savings account. I could live just fine without it. So finally, I went very angrily to the ATM machine. And I withdrew the entire amount of money that Nikolai wanted. And I took it to church the next Sabbath. And when I saw Nikolai, I was not very happy either. I kind of shoved the money in his hand and said, here's the money. I didn't even tell him how much it was, and I left. Two weeks later, we had at my workplace the annual management retreat. The two previous years, we had gone out for this retreat. By the way, I worked at a publishing house at a newspaper. and There were also a number of magazines at this publishing house, and every year we got together for a big retreat to discuss the publishing house's um, results for the year and what the plans were for the next year. And the previous year, we had gone on an airplane to Crete for a wonderful weekend of discussing the results. The year before that, we had gone to Lake in Italy for the management outing. Beautiful time there to discuss the results. This year, however, was a bit different. We chartered a bus and went to, went to a hotel outside of Moscow for the retreat. The financial crisis had hit our company really hard too. At this management outing, we listened as the CEO went through PowerPoint after PowerPoint slide of red, red losses across the whole industry in publishing. Then we came to our own situation, and the CEO said that when the financial crisis started that year, the board of directors had been really afraid of what's going to happen to the company, so they had taken some money and put it aside as a safety cushion in case things got really, really bad. And she said, you know something? Things did not, get bad as, did not get as bad as we expected. So now we have decided as the board of directors to take the safety cushion and give it to you to divide up among yourselves and your staff as a year-end bonus. <laughs> I couldn't believe my ears. Nobody could believe their ears. There was a huge gasp from all the editors and publishers at the meeting. And then people began to clap. And I sat there and I hung my head. And I thought to myself, I did not see that coming. (laughs) I had said to God, you don't have any way to help me here. And as I've been trying to guard my own safety cushion, God had been looking at the safety cushion of my company and been preparing to give it to me. My friends, when I received the year in bonus, the year in bonus, it was seven times larger than the amount that I'd given to Nikolai. Too blind to see. In my case, I can't say that I prayed with faith. But as I thought back about what had happened, I realized that just going to the ATM machine in itself and taking out the money was an act of faith. Sometimes actions speak louder than words, even though you don't want to do something. And God, in his mercy, looked at that small act of faith and used it to bless me. Too blind to To see. My friends, are you too blind to see? (laughs) You're very humble to admit that. (laughs) Yes, too blind to see. Do you want to see? Do you want to regain your eyesight? Do you want to see with spiritual eyesight? Do you want to be like these two men who received both spiritual eyesight and physical eyesight? My friends, how do we get this eyesight? It's really simple. It's right there in Revelation when Jesus says to the end-time church, our church, I advise you to buy from me I-self. How do you buy I-self? How do you buy spiritual things in the Bible? It's really simple. All you have to do is ask for it. These two men asked, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. We wish to... Gain our sight. It's simple. Just ask for it. And when you go to the store, you ask for something, and then you have to give something too, right? What do you give? Yeah. In this case, we give our hearts. It's simple. You want to have eyesight? We have to ask for it directly. Lord, we want to receive our sight, and we give him our hearts. My friends, one day, very, very soon, I believe all my heart, we're going to see that little Black cloud on the eastern sky, and it's going to grow bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter. And above the cloud is going to be a brilliant rainbow, and underneath is going to be fire. And in the very center of the cloud will be Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, the Son of David. And I believe when we see that cloud, I can just see in my mind's eye. Those two blind men, no longer blind, jumping and leaping to see Jesus again in the cloud, coming back to take them home with him. I can imagine looking up into that cloud, Rahab, seeing for the very first time her great-great-great-great-great-great-something grandson and realizing that she is the great-grandmother of our Lord and King. And I can imagine Nikolai looking up into the cloud and seeing for the very first time. It says in the Bible, every eye will see him. Seeing Jesus for the very first time. My friends, do you want eyesight? Do you want to ask me today, Jesus, to give you this eyesight? It's very simple. All you have to do is say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. We wish to gain our sight. If this is your desire, I want to invite you to pray this prayer, these words of the blind men, to Jesus now as we sing our closing song. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, we turn to you now and just say from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. We would that we could see with our eyes, see spiritual truths, see you, and then share you with others. We give you our hearts now, and this is our request. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.